And I, I don't worry about it near as much as you might think because we don't have customers. Yeah, well, you're, you're in a different position. You're, in the, you're not offering a service. Um, yeah. Jack's company definitely is offering a service. And oh, yeah. Argue. <laughs> Jack can't get anywhere near it. Nope. But, yeah, we, we are an odd. We were having a conversation with a vendor recently, and they said something about, um, you know, our customers. No, we don't have any. <laughs> our customers. And, and it took them a second. You know, what do you mean you don't have any? Like, uh, we don't. No, we make our own money. We have no customers. Yeah. And it's, it's vendors really have a hard time swallowing that. Well, it breaks their model. And so they don't understand it. And exactly. It, yeah. You know, how many, how many customers are you going to have this exposed to? None. I hope your licensing takes that into account. And that's kind of some of this itch I want to scratch is you know, whether you have customers or not, if you're in a situation where you, you don't have any monitoring whatsoever, you signing up for observability isn't going to get you what you need. You, you actually need to know is how, how your, your code is performing. Is the site up? And observability doesn't always may help you answer why it's down, but doesn't always tell you it's down. Yeah. Well, when I say we don't have customers, our company doesn't have customers. Oh, we have customers. And they sit near us and they get really upset because downtime truly costs money. Welcome to the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Ming. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We're here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about the definition of a... Of a <laughs> This week, we're talking about the definition of, of observability. Take three. That's good enough. Are you interested in promoting practical experience in the operations, DevOps, and SRE spaces? Consider sponsoring the Practical Operations Podcast. Contact us at sponsor at operations.fm for details. So observability is a hard word to say, obviously. Um, but you know was, they've started to shorten it to Ollie, spelled O one one Y. Yeah, that that just. I, I refuse to use that word unless absolutely. unless I'm identifying the hipsters. I I feel really bad. I had to Google that, and it took me a while to figure <laughs> what that was because at first it was like bringing up podcast or uh, it's not videos like you can and Google stuff it either. And, uh, yeah, and it was really weird. And then finally, I was like, I was like, oh, it's short for oh boy. Yeah, well, my metric stack goes to 11. You know you're fully buzzer compliant when. But observability itself, um, for a formal definition, is a measure of how well internal states of a system can be inferred from knowledge of its external outputs. So it is a control systems thing. It's a math, math thing that was adopted into the into our world, into SRE, into, into operations world a while ago, but is not super well understood by a lot of the folks in the space. And Jack, you ran across an article by Charity Majors of Honeycomb that was really interesting. Yeah. And she started with sort of a brief history and some former articles she'd written about the state of observability and retrospectives on observability. And, you know, really observability has only been around since 2017, 2018. So it's, you know, in whose years are we counting here? 
Um, but I thought her take was really interesting and in especially being able to define what observability actually is rather than just brandy around this word that, you know, like DevOps means nothing, which is what most of the vendors, frankly, all of the vendors in the monitoring observability space, APM space are doing today. And it doesn't help that a lot of managers, especially small to medium sized companies, see observability as, oh, it's the thing that replaced Nagios. <laughs> and it's like, um, it's true. no, that, that's really not what it is. Can we get Nagios back? There are parts <laughs> of it that I do miss. Small parts, but parts. Yeah. <laughs> and if I go on a quick tangent real quick, I, I did like how you know, she was like the devopsification of the term of observability. And it, and it really got me thinking, you know, is there another industry or uh, sect that likes to use buzzwords slash change the, the meaning or the names of different things over the course of just a few years? Or is that unique to the, the tech industry? It's called well, being trendy. I was going to say yeah. re religious cults do it. Well, <laughs> but I mean, seriously, I mean, I, I was trying to think like, you know, uh, like other like trades, like let's, if you're an electrician, I mean, you're using the same terms, generally speaking. If you're a plumber, you're using the same terms, generally speaking, you get to our industry and all of a sudden it goes from operations to this to devops to to sre it just it changes and it just feels and in I, our industry there's no real difference between operations devops and sre it's all about being trendy enough to sort of attract what you think is going to be the best talent to sort of fill that operational space role and you know get some alignment with the people you're hiring and what you think are good methodologies for that to work in that space. To be slightly less cynical, I think John Syracuse of lots of famous podcasts said it really well that computer engineering is an incredibly hard thing, not because fundamentally writing code is difficult, it's, but it's harder than, say, structural engineering or civil engineering, because in structural and civil engineering, you know the tensile strength of steel, you know how concrete bears loads, you know what gravity is. These are fixed constants that you don't get to change. In computer engineering, pretty much everything is assumed. We can change anything we want from the ground up all the way to the, from the bottom to the top of the stack. And it makes all the base assumptions invalid, which also makes it really hard to agree on terms because everybody's inventing their own terms all the time. Well, the physical engineerings are based on physical on physics on reality yeah 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 and reality software engineering is based on well whatever language and paradigm people are using this week and it and all changes for me the 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 cost of failure in this industry is so low because you can push code to correct that failure so quickly um there's no there's no opportunity or no chance to sort of you know take back and learn from the failure and the mistakes that have come before it's you know what sticks to the wall best. Yeah, just I just think we as a as a collective we, not just us four, could the could do we? a better could do a better job of trying to not be so trendy with 
with what we're calling things. <laughs> oh, I completely agree. I'm, I'm not trying It'd to say be nice. That... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, I approach problem solving from a very much an engineering perspective, and sort of the scientific method of being able to figure out exactly what's going on. You know, I want to be able to make observations and build hypotheses and test those. And that's, you know, a very scientific method of, of debugging a system. And not everybody is, is up for that or really understands that process. And you know, it really feels like folks are just kind of guessing and pulling up strings. But to try to at least bring it back, I, I do agree. And I, I think that the, especially some vendors are really bad about we, they have a monitoring product, let's say like a metric metrics only. How do we sell this more? Oh, we, we call it observability. And when everybody starts calling it that, and it's usually just one or two or three things, and it's not what, what engineers of that space would call it, it really muddies the waters. Or when you're a larger vendor and you buy up you know, several smaller uh, SaaS vendors, and then you call that platform you smush together observability, and the products don't really interrelate at all. And that's sadly common in this industry, where somebody who's a reasonably large player in one space says, I'm going to pick up a couple of other companies and round up my portfolio so I can sell a solution. And some of the solutions are actually pretty good. Like There's really good tools, and if you use them correctly, you can get a lot of value out of them. But they're being sold as the be-all, end-all, does-everything observability tool. And it's like, eh, it's not, it's not really it's doing not how that how this works, you. guys. So, Jack, observability itself. Talk to me a little bit about how you see observability different from, say, monitoring. And I want to uh, focus on, on what Sherry talks about in the document and the blog post a little bit because she tries to you suss that out and there's a very long conversation um which you started by Corey Quinn on Twitter of all people um that she's summarizing quotes from to sort of suss out what that that definition of observability actually is and for me observability really is a superset of of traditional monitoring. I don't think we can have good observability unless we have a foundation of is the service up? Is the service behaving within normal parameters? Okay, now we have a deeper problem. Let's switch over into our forensics to figure out um, the, the structured events that describe what's actually happening so we can do some more observability-oriented tasks. Structured events, that seems to be a defining or a, a key structure to go from, say, monitoring to observability. Would you agree? That's definitely part of it. And I wouldn't confuse those with, with traditional logging. No, right. I think, I really I, do think that traditional logging will eventually go away. Because it's, you know, random text strings designed to talk to a human. And you can only scale that problem of how many humans can you get sitting in front of your, your log aggregation service to tell if your release was successful. 
eventually you're going to run into humans to watch those logs fly by. Um, and that doesn't produce a lot of great data to build any sort of mathematical model or make any sort of automatable decisions on. Well, the other um, problem with logs, logging has a, a huge number of valuable components, but one of the big problems with it is a human decides beforehand what they're going to emit at what level of verbosity and which services and which pieces are going to be emitting those those logs. So if a developer decided this thing was really important or they were testing something and they left debug turned on, well, you have a lot of logs about that. That's not observability. That is just a lot of logs about the debug nature of one particular you know, method handler or whatever. Debug is active. Debug yeah. is active. <laughs> I have seen people make mistakes and leave code in like starting to record a metric and ending recording a metric in the logs. So every metric they were emitting, they were also logging twice about it, which was chatty. But <laughs> logging is valuable, but just don't, don't try to, when people try to conflate like a, an old logging system with observability, it's like, well, you're, you're part of the way there. You're, you're missing the, the, the link though. And that's what I see people do first, do often, is everybody starts with logging. I mean, when I write code, I've got some bad printfs in there to figure out, you know, is my code doing what I expect? And then you build this sort of... Is my code even being called? Is my code being called? You know, then you build this service that makes those log messages from your applications available you know, to your developers, to your SREs, whatever. Um, so that's some sort of log aggregation service. And then people think, oh, well, if I just regex this hard enough, we can get useful data out of it. And that's, that is what I see a lot of people try to do for observability. And that doesn't work and that doesn't scale well. And similarly, metrics is a, is a problematic space because metrics has a lot of aspects that make it fairly rigid as well. And it doesn't entirely, you know, subsume the, it doesn't, it doesn't entirely envelop all of observability and charity because... makes some of the same arguments about uh, metrics that metrics are intended for low cardinality data um, and so if you haven't decided to you know record events about this particular dimension you can't ask those questions in the in the in the future um, and of course observability is about being able to figure out what's wrong with your system when you haven't uh when you haven't you didn't know that, that problem was likely to occur beforehand but i kind of find the same problem and argument in logs and in tracing as well even though you have the ability to to emit you know high cardinality arbitrarily wide events You've still got to make the decision what data in do you admit in that event. That was one thing I took out, you know, the, her comment about always structured events, structured events. You still have to pick out what is the event. What, you know, if I admit something to the observability stack, whatever piece of it, I the developer still has to make the decision to admit that at some point. Maybe the SRE made the decision we're going to record that but at some point a human has decided this is a something i care about and i should be collecting on and and i think this is where uh a common shared library that your company uses really comes into play because then those decisions could be made in that library because 
let, let's assume uh, for a second, like database operations are in this shared library. Well, then well, we, we want to know how long a, a query takes. Well, you can add that in the common library and then you don't have to worry about individual developers adding that event in sure. in the library, you know, in their code because it's it's just inherited up the stack. Exactly. Well, and, I, and I when I said somebody somebody made that decision, you know, where that somebody sits in the hierarchy, who knows? Right. Well, and and I think that's why I'm saying I think it's best to to have those in a kind of like a common or shared library versus sure. yeah. leaving it to individual developers because. When it's left to individual developers, depending on their skill level slash experience, they may not even think about it or know about it, and then you've missed an event, and it's like, oh, I really would have liked to have had that back then. Well, one of Charity's big arguments is that observability and monitoring differ, that monitoring tells you if something is broken, and observability tells you where something is broken. And similarly, if you have an individual developer adding a log print or a metric commit or something into their code... That is telling you if it is broken because they're not looking holistically at the platform. They're looking at, is my particular microservice functional? When you have a framework, when you have something that is larger that, that covers the organization or at least the, the, the larger um, lumbering collection of microservices and monoliths and whatever else you're running, then you have a chance of actually knowing what is going on and where things have broken. And, and I think that some tools i won't even say necessarily open source but even even some uh tools that you pay for have tried to combine especially on 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 the metric side both letting you know when something is a problem and where that problem is and so i think a lot of people have been trained that oh i just need to add metrics and that's it and that's because of tools that have allowed them uh whether it is because they were able to support high cardinality data and, and I'm using support loosely there um, to be able to, 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 for them to be able to get that information versus saying, oh no, we're going to collect this information to tell you, yeah, there's a general problem and then you need to do X to be able to determine where that problem is. Cough, data dog, cough. <laughs> well, oh, data dog. I love to make fun of them. And and I mean I actually I was I'm I, I've got the mind of Prometheus because while Prometheus doesn't handle high cardinality data very well, it can accept it. And so developers can very easily create some very nasty metrics that Prometheus will gladly accept. And then it's only whenever you start getting scaling up that you're like, oh, this doesn't work anymore. But by that time the developers have gotten used to, oh well, we, we know when where something's wrong. Because we're logging every HTTP endpoint on this metric, and and we just had this alert that fired. And error URI in a different metric. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things that really sort of gets under my skin about the whole idea of of observability being schema-less is the idea of, well, being schema-less. Open telemetry is neck deep in developing a set of semantic conventions, basically schema. Um, when I work with companies about observability, one of the very first things I want to lay out is, does your metric schema actually match and is it consistent? So we can grow from Kubernetes cluster to Kubernetes cluster, application to application, and 
we have that namespacing that's that's consistent that allows us to do the same things in prod as, as in production and builds up that knowledge base of this is how I look up data about my application that's running over here. And I don't know, maybe I'm not on the same wavelength as Charity and her bits about schemas, but I find that having some loose schema, some loose namespacing is is incredibly useful to making observability work, to building on having those libraries that applications can use uh, to emit their own custom data uh, so that we can get a better understanding numerically, scientifically, of what's actually happening. Well, well I think reading... that might be what she turned, what the part of structured events is. The structure part is that you're putting the information in there in a consistent manner. It doesn't have to be a, you know, a schema as such, but that, you know, you're calling bytes in, bytes in. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be that it's, you know, the same long pathing, like, you know, Prometheus name so that you can regex it, but that, you know, if you're counting bytes, you call it bytes. If you, then the rest of it goes from there. And you all agree that like HTTP status codes are reported as integers, not strings. And you all agree that, you know, the various pieces. <laughs> yeah. So when you are doing the arbitrary looking at the data later, you can do what you need to do. Or and... you have a consistent label that identifies what your application is. Yes. I but mean, yeah. simple, but stupid in... things as part of this. I think what she's saying about schema list is kind of like um, a protobuf versus a JSON lines object where the JSON is just arbitrary data with consistent key value pairs in it. Whereas protobufs are generally speaking more specific and registered and you know they have a rigorous schema applied to them saying this is what the fields can and cannot be um beforehand i yeah, think that's what she's getting at that's what i took it as um just making sure that what what people are saying the data is it actually is versus so that you don't have confusion oh confusion your observability <laughs> i mean the, there's this theme of no one likes their observability solution uh which charity talks about and yeah i find that pretty true and but the reason i find that true is because most people are just you know trying to throw things you know at the wall and see what sticks no one's attempting to use their observability solution in a consistent manner enough so that it becomes a powerful force of nature where multiple teams can look at the same data and understand what they're seeing and come to the same conclusions and decisions. I can tell you from firsthand experience right now that any level of observability, if you don't design it in at the very beginning, is incredibly hard to graft on after the fact. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, these, you know, socializing these things as she's done is a great way of here's, proposing a set a set of standards and and ideas and ways of thinking about this that it it becomes part of our normal development paradigm to put this information in there in a sane fashion well consistently also I, everywhere so that you can pull it back out later Ken you and I have run a very very large logging system before and one of the benefits of that was all the developer teams in the organization knew where the logs yep. were going. It was all going to the same centralized place. 
And so they knew that they needed to get their logs into a relatively consistent format. So when they were looking at things later, they could easily associate yeah. stuff and they could they could drill into it a little better. Was it the fastest? No. Was it the cleanest? No. But it was a functional system that allowed the developers to kind of collaborate. And when st stuff hit the fan, it was, okay, there's a single place we go to start looking through the logging pipeline and not, oh, there's 15 of them. And every developer right. team has done their own thing and they've added on this thing at the end and make sure that we have a log stored somewhere. No, it's... Bought their own tool. Everyone, we're, we're doing the same thing together. We're on the same page. Everybody uses the same logging pipeline and platform. So let's do this together. And that's important. Yeah. And, and as, as many other warts as that organization had, that was one of those great decisions somebody made of, here's this one way we're going to do things. Everybody needs to do it the same way. And, you know, it was just accepted that you did this and people did it. And so everything, you know, granted, I forget how many variations of remote client IP as a label we found you know, it was 11 and i didn't never conceived of that many ways of phrasing spelling putting it together to mean the exact same thing but they were there 11 but at least they were there <laughs> yeah we, we hadn't licked the whole problem but we had we'd gotten part of it done um and again charity in her post talks about she has a list of, of things that observability tools need to do. And this is on that list of having a centralized place to, to be able to look at data. The list does read to me somewhat as a description of the company she works for, unfortunately. And that detracts from it somewhat for me, which I hate, but... Yeah. I mean, she mentions um, how the data is stored in the backend system as you know, part of the of the capabilities that you're observability platform must have and i don't care how it's stored in the database that's not a capability yeah i, I expect I, it to store data and retrieve it quickly well I, I think like she mentions that high cardinality and high dimensionality are important and i think yes i think yes. those are legitimate things that that's a that's an external observable aspect of a of another observability system i cannot say that word um and she also mentions the the client side dynamic sampling, which keeps your system from now, falling over. Now, client side dynamic sampling is where I start to get twitchy, because the whole observability concept is about when you're facing an unknown problem, you don't have to alter your code to track down that problem. Instead, you log into the sidecar container right beside your code and alter the client side uh, agent. That's where I think some of this doesn't hold water. Well, so my, my side, my, my take on that is I've run logging systems that ingested, you know, trillions of events a month for like, we were looking at half a million events a second. And that was, that would be a slow time. And when you're pulling in that much data, any problem that is worth looking at at all happens more than once. If a thing happens only once, you don't care. It's lost in the noise. We're all just on the internet. Yes. Because there's so many other things. Like if, if you even like, oh, well, something's like, oh, well, a delete only happened once. It's like, yeah, but that's going to be logged in hundreds and thousands of places. And it's going to be multiple calls to multiple systems. You're going to have a lot of noise around that and other change in aspect of the system. So yeah, having the ability to turn up and down the 
the sampling rate for your system, especially if you can do it at individual client layers, is great. So you can say, we're going to run yeah. at a, a particular percentage all the time, and if traffic goes through the roof, we are going to back it off a little bit, not all the way, but a little bit, to keep our our platform from falling over while we debug what's going on. Because presumably at a very high a very high event or a very high volume event, you're going to have lots of repeated instances of something. And if you know what your sampling rate is all the time, you can then reverse engineer how often did this particular thing happen? Yeah, I don't think, you know, you don't want to be changed, you know, when she talks about it, I don't think she's just saying you're going in and adjusting the actual application or microservices code to because you've just ruined your test. But if you can adjust, you know, what's monitoring it a step back, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there's two related you know, facets to this, and that is that uh, logging or tracing sl vendor solutions tend to be really, really, really expensive. So clearly you need a valve to, to be able to control costs. Um, but with with teams that I've worked with that very much just have the mindset of, oh, well, if we if we have a problem over here, we know that we can just log in and turn up the tracing to be able to figure out what the problem is. And I haven't figured out why that bothers me so much. Well, again, what, what Ken was saying, you're not changing the code that's running. You're not restarting a service to, to adjust the logging level. You're not doing that part of it. All you're doing is adjusting the sampling rate at which you ingest or accept those events. So... And that sample rate, the previous one, may have been zero. You may not have even been accepting the messages from some subsystem. And now you're going to turn that on. Just as long as you're not in there changing the actual code. Yeah. You, I mean, okay, well, I'm going to take these messages now that I wasn't taking before because we've seen something occurring around them. Yeah, you're not invalidating the, the, the scientific test that you're actually trying to, to, right. to figure out. Yeah. So, I mean, Jack, I see why you get twitchy. I just think that it is an important... Um, it's definitely it's, an important safety valve. For any system at scale, having sampling that you can adjust appropriately on the fly is a godsend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because I was actually getting ready to ask Jack, I mean, what what would you do instead? Just take it all and then hand, just scale up to, t to handle the load? Or, or you know, what, what what is your alternative? The problems I'm looking at currently is basically a general gap of knowledge about how observability and monitoring kind of function and work. Um, so lots of folks have tried a solution shop and instead of dumping large amounts of data into our logging platform, which gets expensive really fast, um, there's, there's movements to you new. Know, well, let's just dump large amounts of data into the tracing platform. We can we can better adjust the sampling on it, right? And you know, I want to make sure that teams are successful at getting good observability and being able to monitor their application well, not just be able to dump data in a new place in a new silo. And that's sort of part of my uh, my work with that team to sort of train them up to using. Uh, better observability rather than just, frankly, logging in debug mode. Well, I think that's, that's very fair. You're not looking at this as a, 
you shouldn't have sampling. You're looking at this as you're worried that a team is going to use the new tool the same as the old tool and it's going to break things or it's not going to actually learn the lesson they need yeah, to learn Yeah, it's about. the same issue that we've had with overuse of logging and overuse of, of Prometheus metrics. You know, what guardrails do we have to help teams use uh, use the tool well instead of use the tool abusively? I don't know that there's an easy answer to that. And <laughs> I, I and I think it comes, it's, well, it changes per tool, per team, per issue. You know, yeah. when you're, when you're, and probably comes mostly from experience with tool. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things, since I've been working with Prometheus for five years now at this point, I, there's definitely things now that I see that I, when I first started out using the tool where I'm like, Ooh, that was a mistake. I wish I hadn't done that. Right. And so, yeah, I, I think especially experience and then, and then knowing how your team works. Cause as I mentioned before, I mean, there's teams that I've worked with before that have, you know, once they've scaled up, they had already made bad decisions about how their metrics were being ingested by Prometheus. And at that point, it was difficult to change because it was already ingrained in everything they did or how they did it. And you're, and it's like, can you please do it this way? And it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a really difficult ask because, well, one, it's monitoring, right? So that's, that's secondary. And then two... They've it's already secondary did, to profit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> secondary until there's a big outage. Right. And then you got to monitor all the things. Well, also, to be honest, most folks don't think about observability or monitoring or visibility or any of those tools. They think about the code that they're writing and how to get it out the door so they can work on the next feature because that's what they see their, their value to the business as being. Is they produce new features and they clean up bugs in the code. And when you say... You have a bunch of monitoring metrics, observability, visibility, code in your app to instrument your code, and you need to change it all. They're like, well, but it works. And I can look at it and I can go to the dashboard and it works. And you're like, well, yeah, but it's not efficient. And they're like, yeah, but it's working. And that's, there's no bugs in it. It's working until something falls over. And then it's like, oh, well, now I guess there's a bug now. But it keeps, it, it encourages people not to understand why it's a problem. And that's, I think, the issue. One of the things that was really enlightening to me as I took my own, you know, sort of personal journey to, toward observability, um, yeah, um, is, you know, I have very much have an operational SRE sort of background. And so when I look at observability, you know, in the light of monitoring, uh, you know, I expect there to be this foundation of we've got to know if is the application up? How well is it performing? I ask teams to create dashboards that show the Google four golden signals, because if I've got those myself and other SRAs in the team can probably figure out, you know, what's going on. And while that is a step above, step up beyond our traditional sense of monitoring, and it gives you know, the operational SRE sort of layer a really good insight into where the problem is and how the application is misbehaving. If you're on sort of the developer side of the spectrum, that really doesn't give you the developer enough insight into the inside interior parts of the code to figure out, okay, why is this really laggy? Why is this really slow? What, what for loop has gone, you know, bonkers and out of control. 
um, which is part of the equation that I think about less because of where my background is. And when I sort of put that together of, of I want to have this mathematical model, the statistical model of how well your application is performing, and the team wants to know what part inside the application is having the performance problem, um, that is really when when sort of the concept of what observability is you know, took hold of of my brain. Yeah, I would argue that the four golden signals and stuff is the first step in the culture of building observability into your environment because it gets people on the same page, but it's not everything. It, it, it opens the door, but you still got to walk through it. Yeah, I, I, I don't see how you walk through that door without having that understanding of how your application behaves understood to some level. And that that is a common point that I see teams doing is, you know, we, we immediately want to go to the trendy thing, to the observability thing, but we don't have any monitoring to to tell us that there is a problem so we don't have the information to formulate the questions about why is it broken. It feels like on a lot of these episodes, we leave the viewer, the reader, the listener, whatever. Wow, I can't even talk today. Um, with advice to go read a thing that we've read and think about it and talk to the organization about it. And I think that is honestly the internal communication that teams and organizations have is critical to getting anything in this business done. So I would like to see more people read this article and read other things like it and think about how these tools work because we can't just dish out solutions that people will adopt. That doesn't work that way. I think that really lends to our practical side of this is we can't tell you how to do your own, how, what to do for your organization because everything's different. People need to go, you know, okay, we've talked about this. We've given us some insights and some of our experience, but we're not working with you. It's your organization that has your particular set of problems please go read it. It's, it is important to understand these things, especially for the SRE folks, because they're stuck with, Hey, this blew up. Do you have the knowledge, the information necessary to go find the problem? And there are not enough SREs out there and the SRE teams can't be staffed (laughs) up quickly or well enough. But I think that's next week. Yeah, this is where we lead into next week, the SRE problem. And part of part of how I address that observability, that SRE problem, is by you know having some communication of what kind of standards that we want to have in place. And that, you know, gives folks a paved road to work on and sort of narrows down what what an SRE has to figure out during an outage. And is Part of my quest in in helping folks with good monitoring, with good observability, is it's not so much using a tool, it's developing and adopting a strategy and using that consistently. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and coworkers. We would also appreciate folks taking the time to rate the show in Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave a comment on the website at operations.fm or send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. 
I'm Brenda Diesendorf. I'm Ken Ming. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thanks, and good night. Open TSDB. H-Base forever. <laughs>